Christian greetings to all of you dear people in the name of Jesus. It's a joy to be here and to open the Word of God with you this evening. And I'd like to begin this time with a children's meeting. And so all of you children who would like to participate, come right up here to these first front benches and we'll have a little time with you. Okay, well good evening to each of you boys and girls. And welcome to this service. Thank you for coming to conference. Now, we all like brown bags, don't we? You might think you know what this is. But you know what it actually is? At least in our story tonight, this is a trap. Yep, that's a trap. Now, we're going to be looking tonight at the subject of the bondage of self. Maybe that's hard for you to understand. I don't know. But I hope that, I don't, that I'll make it clear enough that, that even the children can get an understanding of what we're talking about. But here in this story that I'd like to share with you, maybe you'll have a clearer picture of what it means to be trapped in yourself. Now, I'd like for us to say a verse or two together to start with, and that is words from Jesus in John chapter 8, verses 34 and 36. Jesus said this, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin, or is a slave of sin. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Okay, now let's say those two verses together if you can. You can say it with me. Just as John 8, verse 34. Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Okay, you remember that. Now I'd like to tell you a story about a little boy. His name was Johnny. Now... Johnny went to spend a few days with his grandma. Johnny's daddy and mommy went for a little weekend getaway for their anniversary. And so Johnny went to spend a few days with grandma. And he was so excited. He loved going to grandma's. I mean, grandma had all kinds of neat things and toys that he didn't get to play with every day at home. And so he liked going to grandma's. Well, that very first day he was at grandma's, he noticed up on one shelf some old antique things, and among those things was an old vase. He noticed this old vase sitting up there. And as he went by and looked a little bit, he thought he saw a coin in the bottom of that old vase. He thought he saw a coin in there. And that really intrigued him because, see, Johnny had a coin collection back at home. Johnny liked old coins, and he had collected a few, and so he wondered if maybe that's an old one. But he wasn't sure what he should say to Grandma, but he had interest in seeing. Anyway, he said to Grandma, Grandma, I was wondering if, if I could see that vase a moment. And Grandma said, oh, Johnny, 
<laughs> Those are old things up there. Those are things that were passed down from my great-grandma. They're keepsakes. I treasure them. And they're so old, I, I don't want to touch them. And I don't want you to touch them. So you just look, okay? Okay. But you know, the more Johnny thought about that old vase, and particularly what he thought was a coin in the bottom of that old vase, the more he just kind of thought he, he'd like to take a look, you know? But Grandma had said no. But you know, for the next day, as he kept walking by that shelf, he'd look up there. The more he thought about it and the more he looked, the more he just really wanted to, to get it. He just really wanted to look for himself. Well, the next day, Grandma went out to hang out the laundry. And something said to Johnny, Johnny, here's your chance. Here's your chance. No one will know. Grandma won't know. No one else is around. Just climb up on the chair. Pull it down. Get the money. Look at it. Just look at it. That's all. Put it in. Put it back. No one will know. Johnny said, all right. So Grandma's out. Johnny gets the chair. He gets up. Pulls the vase down. <laughs> sure is. Ooh. That's a... That's a... a Silver dollar. I'd like to take a look at that, said Johnny. He grabbed that thing. The only problem was when he went to get it out, he couldn't get it out. What? Oh, no. This is not good. I wonder what we're going to do now. Um, hmm. Uh. Oh, boy. Now what? Mm. Oh. Anyway, Johnny was kind of getting nervous now. Uh, he kind of had a little problem here. And uh, just like that, he heard Grandma coming back up the steps. He, oh, no, this is not good at all. He fought around and tried to couldn't get it out. Anyway, he heard the door open. Here comes Grandma. So Johnny just kind of walked back in the corner kind of like that and stood there and Grandma came in, and Grandma came by, and Johnny just kind of stood there, and Grandma said, uh, you all right, Johnny? Yeah, fine. Doing great. <laughs> nice day, Grandma, isn't it? Yeah, beautiful day, Johnny. Yeah. Uh, Johnny, can I help you? No, no, we're, everything's fine. Yeah. Uh, Johnny, what, what are you, you got, are you holding something? Uh, yeah. I kind of have a problem, Grandma. I can't get this off. Grandma was so surprised and so saddened. And Johnny, that's my... That's my great-grandma's face. Yeah, I know. Um, Grandma, can you help me get it off? Grandma pulled and pulled. They, they couldn't get it off. Grandma looked at that and she said, oh, I know what to do. I'm going to call the fire department. She said, at the fire department, there's an old, wise old fire chief. And he's worked with some young boys before. He might have a solution. So she called him. Pretty soon he came out. 
Hey, Johnny, how you doing? I'm fine. I just can't get out. <clears throat> he looked at that. He assessed the situation a little bit. He said, Johnny, can I, can I see that a little bit? He looked at that. He said, um, son, I think I know what the problem is. Do you have something in your hand? Well, what do you mean? I, it's a, I've got a vase here. I can't get it off. No, I said, did you have something in your hand? Well, I... Yeah, yeah. Okay, Johnny, in order to come free from that vase, you're going to have to let go of what you're holding on to. Well, Johnny thought about that, and after a few uncomfortable moments, he said, oh, okay, I guess I'll do that. Drop that coin and now pull your hand. Okay. Thank you. Wow, thank you. Thank you. Johnny, Johnny went over to his grandma and he started crying. He said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I know you said not to do that. I, I feel so bad. And Grandma gave him a big hug and said, Johnny, I, I forgive you. I still love you, Johnny. And, uh, maybe you've learned your lesson now. You've learned your lesson. Yes, Grandma, I won't ever do that again. I promise I'll, I'll always listen to you. Okay. All right. Well, that's the story. Let me just give a little summary here. Johnny ended up in an embarrassing situation when he grasped that that he really wanted. He saw that coin and he really wanted it. Even though his grandma said no, when he grasped that, he found that he was caught in a trap. You see, Johnny thought he had the money. But you know what? The money had Johnny. <laughs> the money had Johnny. And Johnny was able to find freedom when he released his grasp on what he really wanted. But let me tell you, children, it took the help of someone else, didn't it? Now here's the lesson for us. When we go against what we know is right, and we follow our own fleshly desires, what we really want. When we go against what we know is right and follow our fleshly desires, we get trapped. You see, the Bible says that serving self is slavery. But we can find freedom. We can find freedom when we let go of ourself, as it were. When we let go, when we release our grasp of that which we really want. And when we choose to obey God's word. But dear children, it takes the help of someone else. You know who that is? Jesus. It takes the help of Jesus. Jesus is the answer to all our problems. And we can find freedom from the trap of self in Jesus.
We find freedom in Jesus. Okay, let's say our verses another time. I'll say them first and then you repeat with me. John 8, 34 and 36. Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Let's say it together. Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Amen. Okay, you can go back to your parents. Maybe as they're going back, we can all sing a verse of the song, Trust and Obey, when we walk with the Lord. When we walk with the Lord. sermon really in a nutshell I guess uh, that would probably be good enough for all of us and we could go home and think about that one a bit but I do have a few more things to say once again we're thinking tonight about the bondage of self we live in a world that is heading more and more down the road of self-obsession it's a world that is self-seeking, that is self-centered, that is self-worshipping. Some time ago, I ran across an illustration of this where someone noted that popular magazine titles of the past and present uh, picture very vividly what has been taking place. I find this very interesting. But according to this writer, the most popular magazine of all time was the magazine Life. And that magazine it covered a broad scope of subjects pertaining to living in general. Then came People, a magazine that you see in maybe prominent positions on various newsstands. It focuses primarily just on people instead of the broader spectrum of life. Not long later, a new publication made its debut, and that was Us. Uh, this magazine narrowed the scope uh, to an even smaller crowd. Now, it was not just for people, but it was just us. And then another magazine hit the newsstands with the title Self, <laughs> focusing more and more on how to please myself. I personally have noticed this downward trend, and it has continued in more recent years as two more magazines are now in publication, me and I. <laughs> and we look at that, and there's a little humor perhaps in it. And yet, why should we be surprised? Because actually, Scripture warns about this. Scripture says this will happen. In fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is telling about the days that will come. And we read that this know also, or mark this down, 
that in the last days perilous times shall come, or difficult times, or terrible times. Mark it down. In the last days, this is what it's going to look like. And then the Apostle Paul goes on to list a number of descriptions. Verse 2, he says, For men shall be lovers of themselves. Men shall be lovers of themselves. I notice that we have this description, verses 2 through 4, and there might be like 16 or so different descriptions. The first one and the last one talk about People who love themselves. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. And then we have a string of descriptions that are smeared with self. <laughs> and then in verse 4, these descriptions come to an end with Paul writing, they shall be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Is there any wonder why the last days are terrible? Why the last days are perilous, are difficult. You see, the last days will be marked with misplaced passion. Oh, there will be a lot of passionate people out there, and there are today, but it's a misplaced passion. Instead of people being lovers of God and glorifying God, they will love themselves, they will glorify themselves. They will love to have a good time. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. You know, what we look at, what we listen to, what we long for, what we love, those things lead us. Those things control us. And I asked you this evening at the beginning of this message, who or what is controlling you? Who or what is calling the shots in your life? For an outline of the message this evening, we'd like to break it down this way. First of all, I'd like to look at the definition and in that definition, we'll answer the question, what is it? What are we talking about anyway? Next, we'll look at the description. And in that point, we will look at the question, what does the bondage of self look like? And then we'll look at some deception. And we'll answer the question, how do we get there? And lastly, We'll note direction. How do we get out? <laughs> how do we get out? And how do we live in victory? We'll probably spend more time on the first two points uh, than the last two, but you know, this sermon is far from exhaustive. We see pictures of the bondage of self all through scriptures. But I trust that the snapshots that you see tonight will be enough to convince you of the danger and the deception of serving self. And I want to remind you that no matter how 
bad you are, no matter how bad you are bound up, there is hope. There is hope in Jesus Christ. Freedom is found, dear people, in Jesus. And so let's note here, first of all, the definition. What is the bondage of self? Well, if we look at it, biblical terms, we have words like the flesh, our body, the body of sin, the old man, our carnal mind, biblical terms that, that all speak about this thing, self. What is self? You see, it's all about my fleshly urges. It's all about my fleshly appetites. What I crave, what I long for, it's what my hungry flesh really desires. It's what makes my body feel good. It's what feeds my ego. It's what swells my head, as it were. It's what tells me that, you know, you're just really something else. You know, like, the world would be better with more, more of you around. It's, it's that. It's what tells me that I'm smarter than you are. It's what tells me that, that I'm handsome, that I'm beautiful. It's kind of like the picture of a person who enjoys looking at themselves in the mirror. You know, they kind of pose and wink and smile at themselves and they kind of have that fascination for themselves. It's our fleshly urges, our fleshly appetite, our love for ourself. You know, bondage has everything to do with control. You see, in each of these examples that I, I just gave, something is controlling my mind. Something is dictating my actions, and it's not the Spirit of God. It's myself. It's my old man. It's, you could say it's my default setting. It's who I am by nature that is in the driver's seat calling the shots. Now, Jesus said, once again in John 8, 34, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin, is the slave of sin, the Apostle Paul says in Romans 6.16, you are a slave to the one you obey. The Apostle Peter in 2 Peter 2.19 says, a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. You see, bondage is all about control. Something is controlling you. My friend Daniel was telling me recently about a man that he met. And this man professed no belief in God. And so in the course of their conversation, Daniel asked this man, so what do you believe about yourself? Like, who would you say you are? How would you label yourself? And this is exactly what the man told him. I am my appetites. I am my appetites. What a very accurate description. This man was not born again. And so his flesh ran his life. He was in bondage to himself. Now, the Apostle Paul gives us numerous word pictures that help us define the bondage of self. And they're always negative. In fact, he writes in Romans 7.18, For I know that in me that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. But notice in Romans 6, verse 12, just a few little nuggets here we'd like to look at. 
Romans 6 verse 12, the Apostle Paul says this, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. You know, this is what comes natural, right? <laughs> That's what comes first. We don't have to try. But by nature, sin is alive and well within us. And the Apostle Paul says, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies. Do not let it happen. Fight that. That ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Do not let it. Do not obey its evil desires. That's what, come na that's what comes natural. The Apostle Paul said, don't let it happen. 1 Corinthians 9, 26 and 27. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one who beats the air, but I keep under my body and I bring it into subjection. I beat my body into subjection, the Apostle Paul says. I make my body my slave. You see, what comes natural? Well, it comes natural for our flesh to control, for our body to be in the driver's seat. We are a slave to our flesh. That's what comes natural. The Apostle Paul says, don't let it happen. You need to be in control. You need to beat your body into subjection. You need to make your body your slave. 1 Thessalonians 4, 4, and 5. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. Or in other words, he's saying, learn how to control your body in a way that is holy, in a way that is honorable. Don't go about life with a passionate lust like the Gentiles who don't know God and don't care. Learn how to control your body. Once again, what comes natural? Well, letting our body control us. Doing whatever it tells us. Doing what feels good. Following our, our flesh. Our hungry desires. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. And this is maybe one of the most classic definitions here of what is the bondage of self? What are we looking at? In verses 1 through 3 of Ephesians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul writes, And you hath he quickened, or he's made you alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience among whom also we all, okay? You know, we read verses like this and, and our mind starts thinking of other people who fit this definition. Yeah, I think about them and I think about them. No, the Apostle Paul is saying, we all, okay? Think about yourself. This is who you are without Jesus Christ. This is your natural bent in life without the power of Jesus Christ working within you. Verse 3, among whom also we all had our conversation or our lifestyle in times past in the lust of our flesh, 
fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Wow. He says we all at one time were gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature. We were all following uh, our nature's desires, our nature's thoughts. What came first? We were just walking after that. You see, when we follow our fleshly urges and appetites, when they are in the driver's seat of our lives, we are heading down a road that leads to death. And that is truly what the Apostle Paul was painting here with this word picture. He says, that's how you were before God came into your life and rescued you. You see, the spirit of life that we read about in Romans chapter 8 wants us to be free from these things. Wants us to be free from the course of this world. Wants us to be free from the power of the air. The one who is working in our carnal nature. The spirit of life wants us to be free from that old lifestyle. And in and of ourselves, it's impossible. We are in bondage. We are born in sin. We are sinners in need of a Savior. And oh yes, we can do all kinds of things. We can work and work and struggle and struggle and read this and read that and try this and try that. But without Jesus Christ, dear people, we are lost. We cannot find freedom. We cannot find consistent victory without the love and mercy of Jesus Christ. Verse 4, but God who is rich in mercy. Praise God for that. Let's note now the description of the bondage of self. What does the bondage of self look like? Some time ago, we needed some work done on our driveway that leads down to our house. We live kind of back down in the woods, down by the creek, and it's a long, winding driveway that goes down through there. And over years, it had begun to wash out, and the ditches were eroding. And anyway, we needed someone to come in and get this thing back straight again. And so, had a local man come, and he dug new ditches, reshaped the banks, and fixed the lane, all that good stuff. But the morning that he came out, and I met him there to discuss this, along with him came his helper. His helper left a real impression on me that morning. His helper was a thin, rough-looking guy with a tank top that displayed all his many tattoos and a big necklace. In one hand, he was holding a smoking cigarette and a Red Bull. In the other hand, he was holding his smartphone, scrolling through it. And all his attention was on that smartphone, except when he had to either take a drink or a smoke, which was interesting to watch that take place um, in one hand. And, and, and I observed that with amusement. And immediately what came to my mind was, what bondage? What bondage? He thinks he is so cool. He thinks he is so free. He's expressing himself. He's 
And yet, what a trap. You know, and we're so prone to look at a picture like that and, and sort of chuckle and say, I tell you, the world, <laughs> they're hilarious. They just don't get it. Like it looks so obvious. They don't get it. And yet, dear people, too often we fail to acknowledge the terrible vice of self that is so entrenched in our own life. And I'm burdened this evening as I think about this because while things can look ever so communion ready on the outside, yet there's so many people, we could say so many people even in our circles today, that are harboring sins of jealousy and bitterness and unforgiveness and greed and sexual sins and pride. And the list could go on and on. They're in bondage to self. People who are addicted to their sports and to their hobbies and their entertainment and their electronic devices, uh, they can hardly imagine life without any of those things. People who are being held captive by their own selfish desires. And in their pocket, as it were, is the key to victory. Is the key to freedom. And yet when you mention it, just leave me alone. Bug off. Because you've got this and this and this. I'd like for us to spend a few minutes here noting some areas of bondage that we must be aware of. And once again, this is far from exhaustive. And yet, as I thought about this and prayed about this, these are things that the Lord brought to me that are concerns on my heart, burdens that I have for myself and for our people today. Areas of bondage that we must be aware of. And the first is wealth. You know, wealth is deceitful. It promises so much, but gives so little in return. But yet the devil allures us with this glamorous package uh, to make us aloof from the realities of life that really matter the most. Like our family, like our children, like our neighbors, like our brothers and sisters in the church, like that needy person down the street. Like you fill in the blank. And the devil keeps us so busy being good stewards of all our accumulating stuff that little by little we have no time, as it were, for Bible reading or little time for prayer, or little time for the things that matter the most. And we're so busy taking care of our stuff because that's what good Mennonites do, right? They take good care of their stuff. Until we come to the point where we just don't have much appetite for God's word. It's just drab. It's just dull. Like it's just not nearly as exciting as my stuff. You know, in the parable of the sower, Jesus compared wealth and the stuff of this world to sharp, painful thorns. We could call them life-robbing thorns. You know, when it comes to thorns, whether we want to admit it or not, thorns control us. You just try walking through a, a patch of briars. You'll find out who's in control. I dare you to walk through a patch of briars and just walk through straight and not plant. You're going to go, oh, 
Who's in control? The briars are. <laughs> they got you. They sure do. And Jesus says that, that wealth is like that. Wealth has us caught in its grasp. It's calling the shots in our life, as it were. Mark uh, chapter 4, 18 and 19. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word. And the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things entering in, choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Oh yeah, they hear the word. They read the word. But you know, there's other things in life. There's a lot of other things in life. And compared to the word, the word just seems a little dull. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6 and see what the Apostle Paul says there about wealth. 1 Timothy 6, verses 9 and 10. We read this. But they that will be rich, or those who have a desire to be rich, fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now, do you see any positive thing about money in those two verses? I don't. And yet we, we read that and we say, yeah, that's, that's not good. Like, you need to be careful about that. But for some reason we think, just, I'd like to try though. Like, I think maybe I could make it work. There is nothing positive there about wanting to be rich. In fact, it says that those who desire to be rich, they get stuck <laughs> in a trap. It's a matter of bondage for them. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus said that your treasure will be, I'm sorry, your heart will be where your treasure is. Your heart will be where your treasure is. Where's yours? <laughs> what is your treasure? Because when you really consider What's important to you? Well, that's where your heart is. Now, right on the heels of wealth, I'd like for us to notice this thing of worldliness, another area of bondage that we must be aware of, worldliness. And turn to Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21, see what Jesus had to say about this. The last days will be marked by a down and around focus. In fact, I would say that there's more people looking down today than ever before. And I mean that in more ways than one. There's more people looking down these days than ever before. Why is that? Why is that? What did Jesus say in verses 34 through 36? And here in this passage, Jesus is talking about, he's describing the last days. The disciples said, tell us, how will we know? What will be the signs? 
What will be some marks so we can know when this is coming? And then Jesus lists a number of things. And then he says in verse 28, And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up, lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. So the challenge that Jesus is giving in, these, in the last days that we live in, our focus needs to be upward, away from the stuff. Upward, for your redemption draweth nigh. Now, verse 34. And take heed to yourselves, or watch yourself, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged, or that has to do with being weary and weighed down. Once again, it's that downward look. Your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and the cares of this life. And so that day come upon you unawares. Now, surfeiting. Uh, like, you know, sometimes we read the Bible and we read words like that and we're like, uh, ever tried with surfeiting? And we just kind of go right along and like, since we don't really understand it, we don't really pay attention to it. And, you know, what does surfeiting mean? Surfeiting has the idea of overabundant supply, excess, excessive indulgence. Jesus is saying here, you need to watch yourself, lest at any time your heart be so weighed down with too much stuff. And then he goes on to say, drunkenness. Once again, too much stuff. And the cares of this life. And so you're so burdened down. You're so consumed. You're so caught up. You're so busy with everything and all this stuff that you miss what's truly important. He says, so that day would come on you unawares. For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch, thee, watch ye therefore and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. In these last days, many people are looking down and around. Jesus said, look up. Look up. Your redemption draweth nigh. Don't miss it. In an article written by Romaine Stauffer, she marked, well, I'll put it this way. She gave some descriptions of what marked the Anabaptists over the last few hundred years. And as she concluded that article, she wrote this. For 200 years, the Anabaptists in Europe had a theology of suffering as a mark of genuine faith. The next 200 years, the Mennonites in America shifted to a humility theology. That brings us up to roughly 1920. And then she finishes with this question. What one word would you use to describe the Mennonites from 1920 to today? We have suffering, we have humility. If you were to describe in one word modern-day Mennonites, what word would it be? In response to that, one dear brother suggested the word self-indulgence. Self-indulgence. That's sobering. 
But you know, I don't think he's far off track. These were the days where if you, if you want something bad enough, you just kind of get it. What is that doing to us as individuals? What is that doing to us as a church? Another area of bondage that we must be aware of, and I say this kindly, it's women. And I'm stepping out on a limb just a bit here. But let me suggest that never before in the history of the modern church have more men fallen due to a weakness for women than today. But the trap is nothing new. In fact, this trap is worn smooth because Satan has been using it successfully for many years. And Satan has caught many a good man in that trap. You know, David was a man after God's own heart. He was the sweet singer of Israel. But David had a weakness for women. The Bible says that he had eight wives and ten concubines. And yet all these women didn't keep him from coveting his neighbor's wife. In fact, they inclined him to it. Concerning his affair with Bathsheba, David followed his lustful desires. He followed his selfish lusts. And consider what he experienced. For nearly a year, he lived a miserable life of deception, of guilt, reaping the bitter harvest of sin and self. In fact, so deep was he in bondage to self that he confessed only after he was confronted by Nathan the prophet. And what was the result of that exciting affair? It was death. The child died. You see, death breeds death. You know, sometimes when we talk about this, or maybe when we're hearing a story about someone who fell into sexual sin, they'll use the, the word, well, they just snapped. Really? Listen to me. When it comes to sexual sins, men don't snap. But it is always a result of a series of compromises in their life. And I think of, of Achan, and I know that wasn't uh, a matter of, of sexual nature, but think of Achan there in Joshua chapter 7, where it says that I saw, I coveted, I took, and I hid. And, and it's a similar progression that I'm saying happens in life when it comes to this thing of sexual sins. Well, you've heard the saying like father, like son. You know, Solomon took this weakness to an all new level. And it just absolutely blows my mind when I read about the number of women that he had in his life. It's hard to even fathom that. But turn to Proverbs chapter 5. The scripture does record some powerful words from Solomon as it relates to this. Proverbs chapter 5.
verses 20 through 23. And why wilt thou, my son, be ravished with a strange woman and embrace the bosom of a stranger? For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders or he examines all his goings. God sees. God knows. You can't hide it from God. His own iniquity shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sins. He shall die without instruction, and in the greatness of his folly he shall go astray. Or he will die for lack of discipline. The scripture says. He'll be led astray by his own great folly. In Ecclesiastes 7 verse 26 we read this. And I find more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets and her hands are bands. Whoso pleaseth God escapeth from her but the sinner shall be taken by her. Bondage is all wrapped up in that verse. A weakness for women. God help us to be men of integrity, men of purity, men of holiness of life. Another bondage that we must be aware of is words of wisdom. And I say this rather tongue-in-cheek. Words of wisdom. You know, we live in a day when there is more Christian information available at our fingertips than ever before. And I'm a bit concerned at the multitude of podcasts and all of that type of thing that we are consuming so readily. It's so available and it sounds so good. And yet those who are saying it, those who are broadcasting it, are not sympathetic to many areas that we hold so dear. I say words of wisdom. We must beware of them. So who will you listen to? Who will you believe today? Let me just warn you that just because it's religious content it doesn't necessarily mean it's according to truth. In fact, Jesus said, and it's recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's very important for us to notice this. Jesus said that many will come to me, or I'm sorry, many will come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and will deceive many. In the last day, there will be many out there in the name of Jesus that will say, here's truth. Here's the gospel. And will deceive many. In fact, Paul and Peter, they go on to write that the last days will be full of false teachers. Many gifted speakers. Many who have attractive presentations. Many who gather large crowds. And yet, let's note what Peter has to write about that. Second Peter Chapter 2. Notice what he has to say about this. In 2 Peter chapter 2, that chapter he's writing about false teachers. He's, he has some very harsh words for false teachers in the last days. But cutting in at verse 18, we read this. 
For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same as he brought in bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them, according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. They promised them liberty, Apostle Peter writes, but they themselves are the servants of corruption. Beware, beware, dear people, of the words of wisdom that are so prevalent in our society today. One more area of bondage we must be aware of, and that is worship. Worship? Are you kidding? Really? Worship? Yeah, worship. You see, for many people, worship can become bondage. I find it interesting that our word religion comes from the Latin word, which means to bind fast. To bind fast. And the idea behind the term religion is that the worshiper is bound under some obligation of some sort. You see, our worship can become a form of spiritual bondage when we have the mindset that our position with Jesus Christ is based on our performance, is based on what we wear is based on how we comb our hair, is based on what we do. Dear people, our salvation is not based on strict adherence to a list of rules. In fact, Jesus said that kind of worship does nothing more than wear people out. That kind of worship weighs people down with heavy burdens that they can hardly even bear, they can hardly even carry. Jesus made it very clear that worship that produces real peace and freedom is not about religion, but it's about a relationship with the Heavenly Father. And over and over, Jesus unashamedly exposed the dead, empty religion of the religious leaders of that day, and he warmly invited the people to experience an overflowing, life-giving relationship with him. He said, come unto me, and I will give you rest. Come away from yourself and come to me. You know, the Apostle Paul picked this up in Colossians chapter 2, and he basically wrote, Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Don't let anyone deceive you. Don't let anyone take you captive. Don't let anyone judge you. Don't let anyone disqualify you. Your power for living in victory and your power for experiencing true freedom in Christ does not come from man-made rules. It comes from your position in Christ. In fact, in that passage, we read at least eight different times the phrase, in Christ or in Him. Eight, eight different times. Four times, the Apostle Paul says, 
Don't let man do that to you. Don't let them do it. Don't let them take you captive by that. Victory comes. Freedom comes through your relationship in Christ. Your position in Christ. Now, let me make it clear to your people. I'm in no way, way taking a swipe at practical application to biblical principle. Not at all. It's simply about having first things first. You see, religion without relationship leads to spiritual bondage. True spiritual freedom is found in an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. And then flowing out of our love for him will be a, will be a zeal to honor him through a life of purity, a life of holiness. And with that, practical application will help us to maintain that. It will. But it's about having first things first. The relationship with Jesus Christ that is first and foremost, that is thriving within us, out of that will come a desire to honor God in the way I live my life. And it will be a submission to the voice of the brotherhood in working out those practical matters. It helps us to maintain that. We must move on. Deception. How do we get there? How do we get there? When it comes to the bondage of self, how do we fall into the bondage of self? You know, sin and self are always deceitful. They always promise much more than they perform. Or we could put it this way. Sin and self always wear a mask. <laughs> they always wear a mask because if they wouldn't, we would see them for what they truly are, which is utterly horrible. And we would run. We would have nothing to do with it. And so, you know, on the billboard, why doesn't the Budweiser billboard have a picture of a wrecked car or a casket? Why doesn't the Gentleman's Club billboard have a picture of the wife crying herself to sleep? No. No, never. They would never sell their product that way. They never tell you the truth. They always entice you. Something that appeals to your flesh. You know, flesh is always, well, our flesh always promises excitement, happiness, at least up front. And it fools us into thinking that we are in control, that I can jump out at any time unscathed, whenever so I please. You know, our flesh never comes to us and says, hey, do you want to ruin your body? Do you want to destroy your marriage relationship? Do you want to curse God? Do you want to cause a lot of pain in your congregation? Do you want to lose out in your walk with the Lord? No, it never says that. Instead, it comes to us and says, hey, this will be fun. Come on, you need this. You deserve a treat. It's your time. Come on, just once. Just once, you deserve this. But when we take the bait, we commit ourselves to a course that marches steadily downward to death. In fact, in James chapter 1, we read about that. Turn to that. James chapter 1. And notice what James has to say about this course. 
But I also want us to know what he says about the source. <laughs> Let's note those two things. The source and the course. James chapter 1, verse 14. I'm sorry, verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempteth he any man. You know, we're so prone to when we get into a problem, we want to blame someone for it. We don't want to take responsibility. Well, the devil made me do it. And he even says here, oh, God made me do it. Really? Well, that's, you know, that's really what Adam said. Adam said, it's the woman, but he didn't stop with that. It's the woman that you gave me. <laughs> so he puts blame on the woman, and then he says, well, really, God, you're the one that gave me the woman, so it's your fault. And our flesh wants to do that. We don't want to take responsibility. And James says, wait a minute, hold everything. It's not God's fault. It's not the devil's fault, per se. What does he say? But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. You bear responsibility for that. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. You see the course? One after another. And then he says, do not err, my beloved brethren, or do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. What a kind Bishop James was. <laughs> uh, he dealt with some hard situations, but he was so kind and gracious. Let's note yet the most beautiful part, and that is direction. So we've looked at what bondage is. We've looked at what it looks like. Some pictures, some word pictures of what it looks like. We've noted briefly how we get there. And now we want to look at how do we get out. Is there hope? And I invite you to the classic passages there in Romans 7 and 8. Just like to note this here as we wrap this up this evening. Here in Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul shares the struggle with sin. And I find it encouraging and comforting as I read this that he makes it clear that it's not just your struggle, it's not just their struggle, but he makes it clear that it's my struggle. The Apostle Paul struggled in this area as well. But Romans chapter 7, breaking in, at verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me. 
But how to perform that which is good, I find not. In other words, he knows that he wants to do what's right. He desperately wants to do what's right. But he doesn't find the strength within himself to do it. And so we, we have this roller coaster ride, as it were, of a Christian experience. Oh, he wants to do this, but he finds himself doing this. And the more he hates this, the more he does this. And up and down. You ever been there? I have. I have. A desperate situation. Such anguish. Oh, I want to be delivered from that. And yet I feel like I'm caught in this trap and I, I can't get out. Verse 19. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that when I do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? <laughs> you, can just, you can just hear the desperation oozing out of these words. It, it seems like such a helpless situation. And he cries out in, dis in despair, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? But he doesn't end there. He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Great. Done. We figured it out. I'm glad Paul... Got that straight. Okay, let's call for a closing song. <laughs> no. That's not where Paul stopped. He has more to say. He says, So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Oh, oh my. I thought we had this figured out. I thought everything was fine and dandy now. But Paul is saying, even though I know where the victory comes from, even though I know that there is hope, yet I also understand and I'm faced with the reality that sin still dwells in my flesh. And you know, my heart goes out to, to people today that are caught in that trap, that that's where it ends for them. Like they know what they know what the Bible says. Then many times they have been told over and over, just believe it, just believe. It. And they've talked to counselors and they've heard sermons and they've listened to teachers and all this and that. And yet they uh, they can't. Because every time they sin, they think, oh man, I'm a nobody, I'm terrible. Oh man, God can never like me. Oh, I'm, how will there ever be any hope for a person like me? I want to do right, but every time I sin again, then, oh man. And they're just in this bondage. And yet, the Apostle Paul still doesn't end here. Now, of course, we have the end of the chapter but he kept on writing, praise God. He kept on writing because he says that even though sin continues within us, 
Yet there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. You don't have to carry that. You don't have to be weighed down. You don't have to feel like you're a nobody. Because when you have committed your heart and life to Jesus Christ, He is faithful in doing what He has promised. And so Paul, Paul goes on to write, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. Praise God. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. There it is. There it is. And so, we go back to Paul's desperate cry of, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Who shall deliver me? And Paul goes on to say, it's the one who has delivered his people once and for all, and it's the same one who continues to deliver us day by day. And we experience that daily victory through what? How? How do we experience that? By walking not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Also, the scripture says here, by minding not the things of the flesh, but minding the things of the spirit. And also, the scripture says in verses 9 11, we experience daily deliverance from sin and self by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit within us. Verse 11. Let's say verse 9, first of all. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Verse 11. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken or make alive your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwells in you. Wow. That's beautiful. And so, yes, even though... As long as we are in these bodies, sin dwells within us, in our flesh. We will always work and work and fight and struggle with our carnal man as long as we are in these bodies. But although sin continues, there is no condemnation. We are not condemned for those of us who have allowed Jesus Christ to come into our lives and through the power of His Holy Spirit, are walking in newness of life. That's where victory is. That's where freedom is. Let me close with this quote by Jim Elliott. And it takes us back to how we started this evening with grasping the coin. Grasping the coin. Grasping, holding on to my selfish desires. And the way that little Johnny found freedom was to release his grasp. But it took the help of another. Jim Elliott wrote this. Father, let me be weak 
that I might lose my clutch on everything temporal, my life, my reputation, my possessions, Lord. Let me loose the tension of the grasping hand. Even, Father, would I lose the love of fondling. How often I have released a grasp only to retain what I prize by harmless longing, the fondling touch. Rather, open my hand to receive the nail of Calvary as Christ's was opened, that I, releasing all, might be released, unleashed from all that binds me now. He thought heaven, yea, equality with God, not a thing to be clutched at. So let me release my grasp. May God help us in this area. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Lord, it's been such a blessing and a privilege to gather around your word with your people tonight. And Father, we confess that we stand in need of your Holy Spirit's power from day to day. Oh, Father, in and of ourselves, we are so prone to go the way of our flesh, to go the way of ourself. Oh, Father, we know from experience that it never ends out well. It ends up in bondage. And Father, we pray that as we have looked into your word tonight, it would give us a fresh realization of the power of self and the power of sin and Satan, but yet at the same time, the much greater power that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. The power to live in freedom. The power to claim victory in our everyday life. The power to live above self. And no, Father, we can't do it on our own. But we ask you, Lord, to come and to help us and to give us that strength. And so, Father, I pray that we would be challenged. And Lord, as we go from here, may we have lives that are truly surrendered to you. And may you work through us, in us. And may you be glorified through your people. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.